You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. The late minister, Robert Farrar Capone, said the Reformation was a time when people went blind, staggering drunk because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace, bottle after bottle of pure, desolate scripture that would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The Bible is a message of God's grace from beginning to end, and the Epistle of Romans is one of those letters that makes the gospel of grace explicitly clear. Drinking 200-proof alcohol would wreck you and could even kill you, Drinking from the fountain of grace we read about in Romans will do the same thing. The 200-proof, pure, free, unfiltered gospel of grace that takes you right where you are will put our life of sin and rebellion to death while bringing forth a new man, unbound, unchained, to live a truly free and transformed life under a perfect king. Martin Luther said, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. He said that every Christian should not only know it word for word, by heart, but also that they should occupy themselves with it every day as the bread of the soul. John Calvin stated about Romans, if we understand this epistle, we have a passage open to us to the understanding of the whole of scripture. Taste and experience the power of God for salvation for all who believe, the 200 proof strength of the gospel in Romans. Good morning. I grew up in a family that was brutally honest with the mother that was brutally honest. And one of the things she told me early on is that I cannot sing and I'm grateful for that. And so like Hunter said, I I won't be singing. My mom also told me this and I want to bring this up. Uh, She said after she came to this church a couple years after it started, she said, Rick, I got to level with you. I I never thought it was going to work out. So the fact that we have an eight year anniversary is not a testament to Uh, my faithfulness or anything like that. It's a testament to God's goodness and God's faithfulness over this church family throughout the years. And so I'm extremely grateful for it. And if you're unfamiliar with the backstory, we moved here, uh, my wife, Allie, my oldest daughter at the time, that was the only child we had, and then myself in 2015. And we moved here from Reno to start the church. And we pretty much didn't know anyone. And so now we have a family filled with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's exciting to get up here and get to preach to you guys and I'm thankful for the, the, the relationships and friendships that have been established over the years, even as Hunter said, it's been a constant. So if you were there day one, eight years ago, would you stand up? Day one. Hey! They're the only ones that could endure <laughs> everything. Good job, Larsons. <clears throat> if you guys would, please turn to Romans. We're gonna continue in our series in this letter today. If you're here and you're visiting, thank you for being here. If you're here and you're investigating, thank you for being here. We wanna make this clear. Gospel Community Church exists, as Hunter said, to make Jesus the hero. And so if you wanna know what you're gonna be getting, either as a family member of this church or someone visiting for the first time and investigating Christianity, we're gonna talk about Jesus. You see, as we share about, oftentimes, our own testimonies, We like to think that what we're sharing is the gospel. 
we're going to talk more about what the gospel is, but oftentimes we'll say, yeah, I was sharing the gospel with someone. And then you'll say, what did you tell them? Well, I told them that at this time last year, I started following Jesus. I gave my life to the Lord. That's awesome. That's not ultimately the gospel. That's about you. And so the gospel is all about Jesus. And so what you are going to hear, whether here for the first time or here time and time again, is you're going to hear that message. There was a man who was a brilliant theologian, and his name was Dr. R.C. Sproul. Making kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, he said that he knows many preachers that have preached 5,000 sermons. And he said, I preach five sermons 5,000 times. And in all reality, what he was saying is that he preaches the same sermon, the same gospel message, every single Sunday, every single Sunday night, the same message time and time again. And so what you're going to hear is the same message centered and focused on Jesus Christ. So whether you're investigating, whether you've been here for a while, we want to be founded on that message because that message is good news. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for eight years. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against your bride. Jesus, you conquered. And we praise you for your conquering victory over sin, over Satan, over death. You are the only one that has stepped into the ring with death and walked out unscathed, victorious. And we praise you for that. Because now we don't have to live with a constant fear of death. We realize that as Christians, we change addresses to a permanent home that you have purchased and have in store for us with you for eternity. Thank you for that. I pray this morning, Father, that through your word, you would challenge us and comfort us encourage us and correct us. Father, help me to preach your word faithfully through your spirit. Let us be reminded of who you are. Give us an accurate theology. Give us an accurate view of yourself, Father, through your word. Let us marvel at your grace. Let us marvel at your gospel. Let us marvel at what your son has done. If our hearts have grown cold and callous to the message of the gospel and your grace, we're asking through the power of the spirit this morning that you would stir great affections in us. Father, we're asking that you would comfort those around the world that are hurting. We pray for those in Israel that are suffering great loss. We pray for wisdom for leaders around the world. We praise you that the one message that can bring enemies together is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us boldly herald that message in every church around the world. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Today's main point is going to be to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. I was introduced to a new tradition years ago as I spent Christmas with my wife while we were dating. And... They do Christmas a little different than we do it. Her mom grabs all the gifts and then she separates the gifts into piles to the people that are in the room. And then you go around in a circle and one person opens their gift and everyone watches you open your gift, which is not ideal when you're dating someone new to the family because they're watching your facial expressions and everything like that. It's a little nerve wracking. Okay. And then the next person goes, well, my first gift from my mother-in-law, love her dearly, was a zebra pattern uh, Snuggie. And if, uh, yeah, so it's awesome. I don't think, yeah, I don't know that any guy wants a Snuggie, much less a zebra pattern one. If you do, it's cool. You're, uh, it's a safe place for you here. <laughs> uh, but that's what I got. If the bar is set there and then someone else opens up a really awesome gift, you might be wondering how come you ended up with a zebra pattern Snuggie. I'm just saying. And then here's what 
can happen at Christmas because it happens at our family too, because we have adopted this tradition. Instead of focusing on any gift that you might have, period, you start looking at the gifts around the tree that everyone else has and start thinking, why did they get that? And you see this, even yesterday around our kitchen table, our kids were doing this about who got this treat, who got this treat, and I was like, hey, kids, let me ask you this. If you only got one treat for your entire lifetime, would that be one more treat than you deserve? And they're like, yeah. Like, I'm like, exactly. And so the fact that you're getting treats and stuff like that is a huge blessing. But we have a problem, and our problem is gratitude, and our problem is thankfulness. Because typically what we do is not focus on all the tremendous gifts that we have, all that God has given us, all that we can be thankful for. What we typically focus on is what we don't currently have and how bad we want it. And so instead of keeping our eyes on the prize, which I'm going to say is Jesus Christ, what we're doing is looking at everyone else's prize. We're looking at everyone else's gifts. And then what it does is it creates contentment or discontentment. And what it does is it creates a sense of entitlement. And so keep that in mind as we dive in this morning, because we're going to get to see Paul's heart and Paul's attitude, even as he writes to the church in Rome. Starting in verse eight, he says this, follow along with me. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by, <clears throat> by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Let me start with this. First, Paul says, we looked at his greeting last week and this week, we're looking at this, and he says first, and, and it's not a comprehensive list because he doesn't say second, he doesn't say third. Paul starts off with thanksgiving. Paul himself is thankful for the church in Rome. And notice what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, all of you. He doesn't say, I'm thankful for this person because they do this. I'm thankful for this person because they serve in this capacity. I'm thankful for this person because they do all these things. He's simply thankful for them because they are the bride of Christ and because they share a unity in the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, just starting off. Do you find yourself thankful for the church? Not for what the church can do for you, not what, for what the church can provide for you, but simply thankful for the church itself. Typically, whenever we look at churches, we start shopping around and seeing what sort of programs that the churches offer, and then what we're actually doing is we're looking to see how can this church best serve my family, when in reality, your family exists to serve the church and put on display what the church is like to the world. That's not typically how we think about it. We think, what do they do? What can I get? How can they best serve us? Instead of just a simple thankfulness of, wow. I'm thankful for this group of people. So what's the problem? You see, our problem is, is not rooted in circumstances. Our problem is not rooted in that. I would say we have a heart problem. 
But do this, because typically when you're in a room like this, I know there's Christians in the room, there's non-Christians in the room. There's people at different spots. And I'm gonna say, this is a hard issue that we share globally across the board, that we are a people that are not grateful. So we are an ungrateful people that aren't thankful. And I'm gonna say, that's not based upon circumstances. And I'll get into that in just a minute. Because typically what you can do is, is, is be like, man, if we could get back to the good old days, simpler way of life, or an Amish way of life, if we could all kind of adopt that. But guess what the Amish people are dealing with with their children? Ungratefulness. Commonly hear people say, man, if we could take our kids over to a third world country and be around those kids and our kids would be grateful. Guess what the kids in the third world country have in common with our kids? Ungratefulness. Why? Because at the core, there is a heart problem and a heart condition. That's our problem. The lie is to believe that if we can somehow do these things, take our kids over here, if we can adjust these certain things, if we could do all this, if we could get to a simpler lifestyle, if we could get rid of most of the things in our house, if we could become Amish, that somehow that is going to produce more gratitude. That's an external circumstantial change to try to fix something on the inside. But let's be honest. We've thought stuff like that. I have. Take this test for me. Because typically in a room like this, No one goes, I'm ungrateful, and no one goes, I'm extremely grateful. You always put yourself somewhere in the middle. I'm I'm like average. Number one, do you spend more time typically complaining or thanking or giving thanks? Anything. Do you spend more time complaining about parenting or thanking God for the kids that you have that you don't even deserve? Here's the truth. From toddlers to teenagers, the two T's. They're never going to be what you want them to be. Is the majority of our time spent complaining about them or thanking God for the gift that he's given us in them? Anything. That was just parenting. Spouse. We spend more time complaining or more time thanking. Our jobs. More time complaining. More time thanking. Our homes. What about this? The way we look. Do we spend more time complaining about the way we look than actually giving thanks to God for the bodies that we have? I do that. I want straighter teeth. I want More hair, Uh, any hair. I want hair. (laughs) I used to have some, and now I have none, and I want some. I want such vain things. And you guys can look at me and think I'm ridiculous for this, but but I want like a bigger chest, and for so long in my 20s, I was like, man, I'd do anything to have calves like that. It's stupid. And when you hear me say it, you probably think it's really stupid, but the reality is, is those are things that I want because I want something that someone else has. Therefore, I spend more time complaining. Number two. Does your thankfulness depend upon your circumstances? I'm thankful if A, B, and C are met. I'm thankful if these things happen. That's a circumstantial gratitude. For instance, are you thankful when someone cuts you off? Are you thankful when someone throws up the middle finger to you? Are you thankful when you're in Costco and people don't have spatial awareness? Do you even have a store to shop in? Honestly. Next one, number three. Does your gratitude depend on others' gratitude to you? In other words, I'm thankful whenever you recognize what I've done for you and you're thankful for that. Or I don't have gratitude because I see your ingratitude and I have the right to claim some sort of gratitude. Hopefully that made sense. Are you thankful or are you, um, are you moody or a moper when things don't work out your way? Do you find yourself down? This is the next one on others quite often. Are you easily annoyed or frustrated by people? Here's a big one, you guys ready for this? If you could only have instant coffee for the rest of your life, would you be a grateful person? That chuckle was like, no, probably not. (laughs) The reality is, is 
there's so much in this life that we have to be thankful for. But typically, we look at all the things that are wrong and spend a lot of time complaining on them. Why? Because I'm going to say at the heart level, there's a problem. So here's the Christian worldview. Here's what the Bible teaches. It's not change your circumstances. It's not do this. It's not figure out a way to have your child go to juvenile so they can see how rough it is in there. And maybe they won't go to juvenile one day. The truth is, is I went to jail both in the U.S. and in Mexico twice. And it didn't change anything. What did I need? Same thing that everyone needs a new heart, a heart surgery. So the Christian worldview is that we have a problem called sin, and inside of us is a disease called sin. And what we need is a heart transplant. We need a new heart. Where do I see this? In, in the Bible, God creates humanity, and he blesses them with tremendous gifts. He's even letting Adam name animals with them and take part, but they had the greatest prize. They had a relationship with God himself. They just didn't keep their eyes on the prize. They were focused and believed the same lie that you and I believe that God is withholding something and I deserve more. God is withholding something from me and I deserve more. That's where our lack of gratitude comes from. In life is, I feel like something's being withheld and I deserve more. We see that all the way back to Genesis 3. And that entered into creation. And since then, we all have this problem of a lack of thankfulness and gratitude because of sin. And so what we actually need is a real cure to the problem. Again, the problem isn't some other different lifestyle. The problem is a heart. We need a new heart. And only the gospel, only Jesus comes in and says, I can change the gratitude problem. I can change the thankfulness. Again, tremendous things to be thankful for. Tremendous things. Imagine this. You wake up in the morning, okay? You wake up, you're laying there in bed, and you're having a standoff with your spouse, but no one knows it. What's the standoff? The, the coffee didn't brew. So you're laying there thinking, all right, who's going to get up first, right? You finally give in, you get up, so you make some grunts and some noises to let your spouse know you're dissatisfied that you had to give up. Then you go downstairs, and you're like, man, I'm going to have some toast. You got to pull the toaster out. You find out that there's only two heels left on the bread, so you're like, okay. And now it's war, because you got to run to Safeway to get a loaf of bread. Do you know that in the first century, the reason why Proverbs 31 talks about the strength of the wife, the arms of the wife, and even waking up while it was still dark is because in order to have bread, she would have to wake up before sun in the morning, before the sun came out, and start grinding on a mill, the grain seed, to then produce flour, to then make a fire, to then make bread. We are so removed from that process. The same thing with coffee. We're so far removed from the process it even has. We have such tremendous blessings. But again, we could lay out all of those things and we could still be an incredibly ungrateful people because we need a new heart. So with that said, verse eight, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Again, he says all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul would have been talking about the Mediterranean world because that's what they had a knowledge of at that time. And says in verse nine, he says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I will now at last succeed in coming to you. Look at what Paul says. In verse 9, he mentions this word gospel. If you scroll down to verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel 
to you also who are in Rome. Where did Paul's gratitude and thankfulness come from? If we go back up to verse uh, uh, verse 5 in chapter 1, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Paul recognizes that he's only where he's at because of God's grace. So what exactly is the gospel that has the ability to solve and fix the cure of our lack of gratitude and thankfulness in our heart. What is the gospel that Paul says? It's the gospel of his son. Paul is not even saying this is my gospel. He's saying this is God's son's gospel that he is a servant of. So what is it? Hang in there with me, please, because this is super important that that you get this. The message of Christianity is called good news. The good news, and when we say good news or good message, it comes from this word gospel that we see here. This word gospel is actually the word euangelion. Euangelion. And it's two words. I'm sorry, it's one word with a prefix, you, E-U. And you means good, like a eulogy. And now angelos or angelon means an angel, a messenger. And so Paul is thankful because of the good news or good message. You see, if I went to the doctor and I had a tumor and the doctor told me that the tumor was benign, I would have a far different response of gratitude than if the doctor told me that the, can- or that the tumor was cancerous. So what has to happen? If the doctor comes in and says, hey, Rick, good news, the, the, the tumor is benign, then what I get to do is I get to hear that news, hear it as good news, and rejoice. If he says it's cancerous, then here's what has to happen. Good advice. Rick, here's what you're going to have to start doing. These are the procedures that are going to have to happen. This is what you're going to have to go on. That news is not good news. It's bad news. And now advice follows on what I need to do. You see, this word gospel comes from the Old Testament. It was a military term. And so when people would go off to fight a war, there would be a marathon runner that would go with them. His job was simply to be a runner. And so when your, <clears throat> when your army went off to fight a war, if they won that war, the runner would run in such a way to the person in the watchtower could tell by the way they were running if they were bringing good news. That's why the prophet Isaiah says, blessed are those that bring good news. The feet. They could tell by the way they were running, they were running with good news. But they could also tell that the way they were running was bad news if their army had lost. And so here's the thing. If that runner comes back with bad news, then you're going to have to have good advice. Build up the ramparts, build up the wall, do this, do this, get ready because we're getting ready to be invaded. But if the runner comes back and says, good news, we just whooped their tails, the fight is over, it's all taken care of, rest. That changes everything. What Paul is saying, all of his gratitude comes from the fact that the gospel is all about the person and work of his son, which is good news. And that news is done. It's settled. It's taken care of. You can either accept it or you can reject it, but it's done. Look here. He says this. I am under, in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What is the obligation Paul's talking about here? Because of the fact that God has saved him, because of the fact that, that he's given him a new heart, 
Because of the reality of the gospel, Paul is obligated now to share this message. He wants to go and share it to others. Tim Keller explains this marvelously. He says, there's two different types of debt. There's the debt where if you give me $100 on a loan, I have to pay that back to you. But if you give me $100 and say that it's for someone else, I'm obligated to go and take that and give it to someone else. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's obligated to take this message of the good news and give it and share it with other people. He says both Greeks and barbarians, both the wise and the educated and those that aren't. He wants to reap a harvest. He wants to go in and share this good news so that he can see others come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is a man who kept his eyes on the prize, the prize being the gospel. Now, let me explain the gospel. The gospel is this, that I, Rick, born into this world, consume oxygen from a God who I have rebelled and sinned against throughout my life. I deserve the wrath of God because of my rebellion against him. I deserve punishment. And you might not like that, but God is a holy and good and just God, and we would never want a God who wouldn't justly judge sin. Think about a judge that, that would just go, nah, don't worry about it. God is so much greater. He's righteous and he's good. And so therefore, something has to happen. Here's the gospel. It's the good news. Is that God sent his son, the only person who has been truly grateful and thankful in all of his life. Jesus Christ, every second, every moment of every day, lived a perfectly grateful, thankful life for all that he had for his creator, for the creation, for everything. But then he died upon the cross. Why? Because he was absorbing the wrath that I deserve to bear. Isn't it wild that Jesus didn't have a place? The creator himself steps into humanity and doesn't have a home, doesn't have a place to lay his head, goes to the cross and dies a criminal's death. Why? so that you and I that place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ would forever have an eternal home. Christ was purchasing for us forgiveness, salvation, righteousness, purity, perfection, but he was also purchasing for us eternal security and safety and a home with him forever. The greatest prize is ultimately Jesus and all that we're given in and through Jesus and through the work that he did on the cross. For so much of my life, I lived my life striving to try and please my earthly father. Never, ever able to accomplish that. It exhausted me. What it created was a ton of resentment for my dad. What Christ did is made sure that you will never have to base your love and acceptance and approval from God the Father upon any act or action or work that you do. It is solely, solely based upon the work that he did. You, if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, have the approval of God the Father. That is where our thankfulness comes from. I try to tell my kids this, that every single thing we have in this life is a gift that we don't deserve. Again, every breath I take, every step I take, I think there's a song and I'm really not trying to quote it. Really wasn't, honestly. <clears throat> Everything we have is truly and genuinely a gift from God. We deserve none of it. Pride is thinking that we deserve something that we actually don't deserve. 
Pride is me saying, I deserve this, and I'm going to be unsatisfied until I get what I deserve. What a miserable way to go through life. God gives us the very thing we don't deserve, his love, his approval, his acceptance. And here's the beautiful thing. When God looks at you and me, he doesn't see an ungrateful person when we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. He sees someone who has perfect gratitude because Jesus' life of gratitude was imputed. It means given to us. It belongs to us. And what I have is security of a foundation that cannot be shaken. You see, everything in this life can be gone in an instant. The worst phone call you can get, and I've received those, is the phone call of someone that you love that passes away. Your job could be lost tomorrow. You could say, well, my spouse, spouses leave. Sadly, but true. Here's the one unshakable security you have that you will always be a son or a daughter of the living God, eternally held and loved by him with an unshakable love and an unshakable identity and an unshakable foundation that is yours for eternity. That is why Paul is thankful. Not for who, who over here can do this for me, who over here can do this for me. Paul starts off almost every one of his letters, read them. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. He's constantly saying, I thank God for all of you. Why? Because Paul doesn't deserve a single Christian friendship or relationship. He doesn't deserve to be in the family of God. He's not laying some claim to some right that he has. Uh, a few weeks ago, my grandmother passed, and, and two brothers, Chris, Kyle, and DC, sent me a text saying, I'm sorry for your loss, uh, our, our prayers and condolences, something like that. If I got no text, I have no right to be mad at anyone. But the simple fact that I have one brother that would even text me, what a blessing to rejoice in. To have a family that I haven't earned or worked my way into, nor do I have to continue to earn or work my way to remain in, what a blessing. That's Paul's heart. Thankfulness and gratitude is coming from this, the family of God, the family that he's a part of, and he's grateful. Here's what gratitude produces. Here's what our thankfulness will produce because of the gospel. I want us to keep our eyes on the prize. What is the prize? The prize is not all the material possessions of the world. The prize is not anything this world has to offer. The prize is Jesus, and the prize is that we are secure cured and eternally held in him and by him. Because of that, look at what Paul does. He has this longing for the church. He says, always in my prayers, starting in verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul wants to be with them. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Look, it's not some wild charismatic gift he's saying here. He's saying that is... What, what is the spiritual gift? That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not you, uh, want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. You see, a thankful, thankfulness flows, or what flows from thankfulness is this. It's a longing for the family of God. When, when some people will say, hey, do I need to be a part of a church as a Christian? I kind of got me and Jesus. I don't really have a category for that. I don't believe our Bibles have a category for that. And here's the reason why. The Apostle Paul, most brilliant theologian in all of church history, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, says this, I long to come to you, to be with you, so that I can strengthen you, but also so you can strengthen me in my faith. If the Apostle Paul needs that, I would say, 
We need that corporately together. Paul's thankfulness for the gospel is that now, because the gospel and because of what Jesus has done, I'm brought into a family, but it's not just a family that I stand aloof from. It's a family that I want to be deeply invested into. Let me ask this. Do you pray for your family members? I would encourage you to. Pray, as as Paul did, for the family members and do this. Pray for those in your church family that might be really difficult for you to love. Because here's the reality. You're probably that person for someone else. Just as a as I was studying and preparing for this, I went to our executive pastor, Brad, this week. And I said, Brad, can I share this with you guys? Because I would love for you guys to do this same thing. I said, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> I said, in, in light of these verses here, right in the middle, how can I grow in encouraging your faith more? And then he shared some things with me. And then I said, also, how can I posture myself so that I make sure that you're able to encourage my faith? And the reason why that part is important is because sometimes we, we can have this view as the Apostle Paul is up there and so there's no way I can encourage him. What he's saying is that this, is, this goes both ways. This, is, this part is a two-way street. And so not only do we need to encourage others' faith but, uh, faith, but we need to posture ourselves in such a way to where they can speak into our lives and encourage us as well. And if I haven't done that, or if you're someone who feels like I haven't done that, I sincerely apologize for that. I want to grow in such a way to where anyone at our church, who is equal to me as all sons and daughters of God can come up to me and say, Rick, I want to encourage and strengthen your faith. That's something we can all grow in, both asking how we can and asking how we can posture ourselves. I love this quote by Jerry Bridges. It says this, gratitude is a handmaiden of contentment. An ever-growing attitude of gratitude will certainly make us more content since we will be focusing more on what we do have both spiritually and materially, than on what we do not have. Both are, but contentment is more than focusing on what we have. This is important right here. It is focusing on the fact that all we do have, we have by the grace of God. We do not deserve anything we have, materially or spiritually. It is all by his grace. Paul's thankfulness is because Paul had his eyes fixed on the prize. Not what he wanted, not what he didn't have, but the fact that he had everything that his soul needed in his creator. And here is what I would ask you this morning. Do you know the gratitude that comes with and the thankfulness that comes with a God who meets you in the midst of your pain? You see, Allah from Islam cannot step off his throne. You can read that in the Quran. It would be to give up his divinity, our God wanted you to be in his family so much that he stepped off of his throne. Our God, Jesus Christ, knows what loss feels like. He knows what pain feels like because he walked this earth and experienced it himself. There's a thankfulness and a gratitude. We even see in Psalm 23 as David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He ends that in rejoicing. Why? Because he knows this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life because I, shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For God remains. Thankfulness. There's thankfulness to know that as I confess my sins to brothers and sisters in Christ and share what is broken in my life, that they remain, and I can be thankful for that as well. Where else can you admit that you're an absolute mess, a train wreck? And people go, me too. Thanks be to the grace of God. Paul's gratefulness was because he understood that he had a family, an eternal one, and it was unshakable. 
I pray that we would have that same understanding and live out of it. So let me give you just a couple things today to end with, to even practice this. You're not doing this so that God will be pleased with you. You can practice these things because the God who created you in Christ Jesus is already pleased with you. Okay, here's what you can do. Practice this, if you would. Every day for the next week, instead of starting off your prayers in the morning, spend the first one to two minutes simply praising God for everything that you can think of. Simply praising. If if you're like, man, I don't even know, like just look around the room, the the pen. I think that we have a pen. I don't have to dip it in ink and then do something like that. Whatever it is, just praise God for it. Praise God for your spouse. Praise God for your family. Praise God for the church that you're a part of. Start off praising God next. Because I believe part of the cure here is, cure is ultimately the gospel. And then out of the gospel, it's to get out of ourselves. Paul is not inward focus. He starts off thanking God for all of his family members. It's an outward focus. So send someone a text first thing in the morning, thanking them for who they are. Not for all that they do, simply for who they are. And let these little things, as we start to focus on the blessings we have from God and the people that are part of our church family, let them start to reshape our hearts and lives. Because I believe that Christians that are growing in maturity are going to grow in thankfulness because the more we understand of this incredible God and the fact that we have no right, we shouldn't have any right standing with him, but yet he's made that possible through his son and now we're reconciled to him, believe that gratitude flows from that. So practice that. Starting off your mornings, giving praise and giving thanks to God for whatever you can think of and then thanking someone else simply for who they are. And last, let me say this. If you are someone who has been hurt by the church, if you are someone who has been frustrated or anything like that, I'm not saying to you, be thankful for the hurt that you've endured, either by the church or someone else. I'm not, so, so please hear me. I'm not saying be thankful for the really sucky situation that you find yourself in today. What I'm saying is this. The more you grow to understand God's love and his tender care for whatever season you find yourself in, I'm saying I believe you can give thanks to that God for whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in because that God remains. I'm I'm even thankful for songs of lament that Christian authors have written to help me understand what it is to lament and go through times of grieving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the cure in the gospel. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.